Six teammates. Six sons of Marshall. This is our past, gentlemen. This is where we have been. This is how we got here. This is who we are today. I want to talk about our opponent this afternoon. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced. And on paper, they're just better. And they know it, too. But I want to tell you something that they don't know. They don't know your heart. I do. I've seen it. You have shown it to me. You have shown this coaching staff, your teammates. You have shown yourselves just exactly who you are in here. When you take that field today, you've got to lay that heart on the line, man. From the soles of your feet, with every ounce of blood you've got in your body, lay it on the line until the final whistle blows. And if you do that, if you do that, we cannot lose. We may be behind on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but if you play like that, we cannot be defeated. And we came here today to remember. Six young men and 69 others who will not be on the field with you today. But they will be watching. You can bet your ass that they'll be gritting their teeth with every snap of that football. You understand me? How you play today, from this moment on, is how you will be remembered. This is your opportunity to rise from these ashes and grab glory. That's a, uh, a great story. <clears throat> Some of you may not know the story. The, the Marshall football team was almost completely wiped out on an airplane uh, crash in the 70s, I think it was. And uh, that's a great speech. That's a great motivator. That's a great exhortation to his team. The funeral's in today, and now we are Marshall. <clears throat> and he really encouraged him. And why is it, by the way, my name is Pastor Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the Guardian. And, and why is it that a coach can inspire or exhort a team more than anyone else? And the reason is, it's because he is with them every day at practice. Every second that the team is together, the coach is there. He is invested. He feels their pain when they lose. He enjoys the glory of victory he is there discipling them, teaching them, equipping them, helping them learn how to play the fundamentals, the techniques. He is there with them every step of the way. And because of that, 
he has an ability to come close beside them and speak in a way that exhorts them on to performance, to playing well. And that's kind of what we're looking at today, is how to love one another through exhortation. We have one more week left after this in the book of Philippians. Then we're going to have Student Ministry Sunday on the 24th. And then on September 1st, we're going to have a panel up here hosted by Les McCurdy. It'll be me and Bruce and Megan up here answering any questions about any sermons we've had in the past or any other issues, uh, some discussions about what we've talked about in the scripture and things like that. We're going to do that. It'll be kind of a unique thing. And then we're going to start a church-wide series on the book of Matthew that I'm excited about. But today, we're talking about loving through exhortation. So let's read the passage that we have today in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He calls them my joy and crown. That's an amazing declaration of who the Philippians are, isn't it? You can tell Paul is close beside them. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Apparently there was some sort of fight going on between these two. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side, close beside me with the, in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, we know they're believers. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That means compassion, love, understanding. The Lord is close. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that powerful, that passage? I mean, Paul is really trying after... Chapter 3 was a tough passage, and he called people dogs, and he called them evildoers, and he said, have no confidence in religion. These people are looking to destroy and mutilate your faith. He goes through all that, and now he switches back. Chapter 1 and 2 were warm and friendly. Chapter 3 was kind of harsh. Now chapter 4 is back to motivation, love, exhortation. And we're going to study this word exhortation and what it means. We're going to do a little Greek word study for you today. I spent thousands of dollars and years learning the original Greek language. I don't speak it to anyone. I never write in it. So I'm going to get my money's worth every once in a while, okay? The Greek word is parakaleo. I put the Greek up there and then also like the transliteration of how it's pronounced. Parakaleo. That's the word. And it's broken down into two parts. Para meaning from close beside. Para means right alongside, right there, neck and neck, close beside. Not far away, but close. And the word kaleo means to call. So it's a call 
from close beside. It's a call, a call, an, an encouragement from close beside. So to make a call from being close up and personal, or if you really want to kind of break it down, it's literally by the construction of the word para, which means, you know, paraside, para, para, paragraph, side by side. We have a lot of words that have that para prefix in it. Literally to be called to another side to aid, which denotes encouragement. That's the word exhortation, parakaleo, close beside calling. An exhortation is something that the church desperately needs to continue to grow. Without exhortation, there's no action. And we're going to look at some things today based upon the passage here. We're going to look at some exhortation requirements, some things that are required for exhortation, for close beside calling to take place in a church. The first thing is trust, and we see that in verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I love and long for, and my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. And there is a trust that the Philippians have from Paul. And Paul is exhorting them in this passage. And there's a trust that they have because he has been there, he knows them, he's seen their strengths, he's seen their weaknesses, he's seen their success, he's seen their failures, he's been honest with them, he has fought with them, he has fought for them. They have a history together. Paul is not, yes, he's away, far away in prison facing death, but Paul is not somebody who's tried to minister to them from, a hand's length of, from an arm's length away. Paul has been right there in the muck and mire with them all along. So there's a level of trust there, and we see that in verse 1 with the description of his affection for them. See, a key for exhortation is a relationship of trust. This comes from knowing someone. It also enables you, if you know them very well, like, you know, very close, it enables you to be creative since you know what motivates a person and why they're motivated by that. You have to be able to show that you are invested in their success for them to trust you. You have to know them well enough to know how to say things, when to say them, what to say. And it allows you to be creative and innovative if there's a level of trust that comes from a close relationship. Does that make sense? It's really hard for you to exhort and motivate somebody that you don't know. The next ingredient in exhortation is honest specifics. In verse 2 and 3, he gives these. He says, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Stop your fighting. I know specifically about what's going on. You guys got to stop. And I ask you also, true companions, to help these women who have labored side by side, close beside me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are honest specifics. See, exhortation can't just be general. Hey, do good. Do right. Be strong. Okay, great. What do you mean? You see, if you can't give specific direction so that the person you're trying to exhort and encourage can measure their success, the goal could be overwhelming. Stop sinning. Forget that. 
Love your neighbor. Have you met my neighbor? No offense. One of my neighbors is here today. I meant the other ones. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love them all. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> the goal can be overwhelming if it's not specific. And then your exhortation would turn into discouragement, right? Well, how can I stop sinning? How can I be righteous? How can I love my neighbor as myself? You see, exhortation that is not grounded in facts is pointless as well. So it comes from the idea of trust and coming alongside and knowing somebody. Your exhortation should be specific, not only in what you want somebody to be encouraged to do, but why they need to be encouraged to do that specific thing. It's different for each person. Now, there is an industry out there of people that go around making hundreds of thousands of dollars giving motivational speeches that are very general. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not biblical exhortation in the sense of what the word means, close beside calling. That's what exhortation is. Close, para, kaleo, close beside calling. It's like this. You would not try to exhort somebody who has no talent for drawing to come up with a new church logo. You can do it. No, they can't. <laughs> Joe, if you work hard enough and you work out, you can dunk a basketball. No, I can't. I can dunk a donut like nobody's business. But I can't dunk a basketball, and don't encourage me to do it, because I will do nothing but tear tendons. Oh, I heard the, oh, that's sweet. There's another ingredient to exhortation. It's foundation. Without the foundation, it's, pow it's powerless. You see, truth is the foundation. We see that in verse 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is also close by. Rejoice in the Lord. And so the foundation of biblical exhortation, biblical alongside calling, close beside calling, is the gospel. It's scripture. It's the love of Jesus. It's the cross. The Lord is close by. There is a foundation of power in the gospel. God has transformed you. God has redeemed you. God has saved you. God has made you a new creature, a new creation. The power of God's Spirit rests on your life. Therefore, you can do this specific thing. You can do that. You can do it. Because there is a power in your life. I see it. Paul even says, you guys begin to get along. And also encourage all the other ones because their name is in the book of life. Paul encourages and he affirms these people are believers. They're children of God. They have the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in them. That's the foundation of biblical close beside calling or exhortation. And there's another ingredient, promised blessing. In verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the end results and goals must be expressed 
Otherwise, your exhortation will lack motivation. So when you go to somebody to encourage them, somebody that you've been walking with, somebody that you're close beside, when you call them out to encourage, to motivate, to exhort them, give them the, the goal that's in mind. There's a peace that comes when you get along with each other. That's what Paul says. Tell Eodi and Syndicate to get along and tell everybody else, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep you. So there's that concept, right? That there's an end goal. There's a reason why you want to do the things I'm calling you out to do, because this is the result. So we see that there's trust. It comes from closeness. We see there's honest specifics. It's not a generality thing. It needs to be able to be measured and attainable step by step, day by day, which we'll look at later. There needs to be a foundation which is based upon the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells those whom God has saved. And then there's the promised blessings. Here's the reason why you want to do the things that I'm close beside calling you out to do. Then the last ingredient has to be instruction in verse 8 and 9. Finally, my brothers, my brothers, whatever thing is true, whatever thing is honorable, whatever thing is just, whatever thing is pure, whatever thing is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Because if you dwell on these things, it's hard to fight with one another, isn't it? Remember, this whole thing was tell them to get along, and everybody else that's on each side, get along, because they're all brothers in Christ. They've all worked with me in the gospel. They're all written in the book of life. There's a foundation of power in the Spirit of God. And if you do that, the peace that passes all understanding will embrace you. And here's how you do it. Think upon things that are pure, honorable, true, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. You can't just exhort someone to do something specific without giving them instructions and discipleship on how to do it. Your words aren't that great. You can just say a couple sentences and then the person, oh, okay, I'll do that. It's a day-by-day thing. Throughout all his letters to the churches, Paul writes step-by-step instructions for believers to mature in their faith. Paul doesn't have little pithy words. Paul explains things. You notice the whole tone of how the book of Philippians is written? It's all a result of a history of Paul being close beside. So let's look at a little bit more detail on exhortation. I just wrote down some things as I was thinking through how to communicate what close beside calling really is. First of all, we talked about accountability, loving through accountability. Exhortation is different from accountability. Accountability is a, hey, I see a danger sign, stop. Exhortation is, move on to this. There's something greater. There's something better than where you are right now. I want you to achieve this. So exhortation is a little bit different. They can be hand in hand. Exhortation can come along with accountability, but exhortation doesn't necessarily need accountability to be applied, if that makes sense. The next thing about exhortation is that it's the missing link that takes people from knowledge to action. You see the difference? 
Because people have knowledge. Especially if you've been in a church that preaches the Word of God for years, you have some knowledge. But the problem is, if a church doesn't have very many people that are close beside each other, that have the relationship, that have invested the time and the energy to get to know one another, there's not going to be much exhortation, and therefore there will not be very much action. Knowledge does not equal action. Knowledge plus exhortation, close beside calling, creates action. Because see, in kind of continuing that thought, teaching aims for the mind, right? But exhortation aims for the heart. In that speech that we saw in that video clip about you know, the Marshall football team, he wasn't giving them information they didn't already know. He said, our opponent today is bigger, stronger, and faster. They know that, and you know that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. He wasn't giving them knowledge. He was reaching into their heart. Exhortation focuses on the heart. Teaching aims for the mind, and that's what we try to do here every week. We try to challenge your mind, challenge your thought, press, thought process, help you see the Scripture in a different light. But exhortation is what takes those bits of information, and turns them into action. But for that to happen, we must realize that without good relationships, there is no exhortation. And therefore, there's a lack of action. So I wrote some things down, because I just wanted to make sure I remembered. I'm just going to read you what I wrote. The very nature of, of exhortation is close beside. When you aren't close beside, you can't call. You ever notice the farther you are away from a person, the more demonstrative, the more volume your message has to contain? You ever notice that? I mean, James explained this. Why is there wars and fighting? Because you're looking out for your own interests. You're looking to consume things upon your own lusts. That means you're far apart. You're not close beside. You're next to yourself, and they're next to themselves, and you're fighting and yelling and screaming. Why? Because exhortation can't take place from an emotional distance. The farther you are away from somebody emotionally, the louder you have to yell, the more demonstrative you have to be to get them to move. But the closer you are to someone, the more close beside you are, the more you have invested in their success, and they know that you're invested in their success, the more that is there the less yelling and screaming you have to do. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a story of some of the people in my own life that have come close beside me. Now, there have been times in my life before ministry and as a pastor where I didn't have people close beside me. It was hard. It was lonely. I made a lot of mistakes. But I have found that the times in my life where ministry and my walk with Jesus were flourishing is because there were exhorters that God put close beside me in my life. The first one, his name is Danny Waltman. Now, Danny was a high school friend who was close beside me and exhorted me to trust Christ when he could see God was opening my eyes. I remember it was, I was actually in a church service with him, and there was an opportunity to respond to the gospel, and he could see that God was really working in my heart. You know how he exhorted me? Get up, Joe! You can do it! Come on! Go! Trust Jesus! No! He put his hand on my shoulder and nodded said, You can do it. He was close beside me. 
And that was the extra that I needed to respond to God calling me out from darkness into light. David Barker, one of my best friends ever in my life, he was the best man in my wedding. He was close beside me for years, mentoring me, discipling me. He exhorted me and taught me how to study the Bible, how to teach. And he took two years to train me how to coach football. He motivated me at every turn when others would put me down. I remember the time he exhorted me the most. It was a gentle conversation in a car on the way to scout a game. We were the JV coaches, and we were going to scout a game for the varsity team, the team that the varsity was playing the next week. We were in a car for two hours going from Tampa to Frostproof, Florida, and we were going to scout them. He said, while I got you in the car, I want to talk to you about a few things. And it was a gentle, warm, but direct conversation. Changed my life. Bob Carver, he was my college Greek and New Testament professor. He exhorted me after three years of being alongside of me and investing in me to be a careful student of God's word. He exhorted me at lunch one day. I was sitting at lunch in the cafeteria at the school where I was going. He sat down with me and told me, Joe, I see some things in you, but you need to do this to get where God needs you to be. You need to become a careful student of God's word. You're a little bit careless. That was all, just a shared lunch. Bobby Young was an administrator in a Christian school that I was teaching in my first year out of Bible college. He encouraged me to leave teaching and get a full-time job in ministry. You know how he did it? He exhorted me quietly one day. He said, you know what, Joe? You could do this teaching thing for years, coaching football for us and all that kind of stuff, and we'd love to have you, but you're way too comfortable. I want you to have courage to be uncomfortable. That was it. The next year I was in ministry, full-time. Jonathan Steele was my choir director in college. He exhorted me to make music a big part of my ministry. He exhorted me by giving me opportunities to take musical leadership in a traveling college choir and then telling me the reason he was doing that was because he could see that there would someday come a day when music would be crucial to what I would do for the kingdom. I was a combination worship leader pastor for 15 years. I never would have been had Dr. Jonathan Steele not exhorted me and encouraged me side by side to make it a big part of my ministry. There's a friend locally, his name is Dr. Colkett. After our daughter died, he encouraged me coming along close beside to do ministry differently in a way that fit my skill set and temperament. He said, Joe, now's an opportunity for you, now that your values have changed, to do things differently. He exhorted me, explaining to me in detail how, in his opinion, I could be much more effective if I had the courage to think outside the box. That led to the Nightlife Center and the opportunity here in the garden. When these people exhorted me close beside me, they were people that had been there with me. I trusted them. They were specific. They gave goals. They helped me understand it. My power was through Christ. I also knew the things they said were not empty. They were direct conversation. Only one was more than 10 minutes, and that's only because I was trapped in a car. These people knew I was ADD. 
So what is the expectation of how much exhortation should occur within our church? But exhort, and I put in parentheses, remember what exhort means, to come close beside and call, to encourage. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of your sin. Every day requires us to be close beside, does it not? Every day requires us to be invested. How close beside are we to one another? Are we close enough to exhort and encourage one another? Or do we have to constantly shout and scream and get angry and be demonstrative? Biblical exhortation takes place close beside. And because you're close beside, it takes place every day. 